This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you'll please join me in our call to worship. On that Christmas morning, light shone through the eyes of a baby. Light brought a moment of relief. All creation, all people, praise the Lord. On that morning, light placed hope in the hearts of the innocent and fear in the hearts of the powerful. All creation, all people, praise the Lord. On this morning, the light shines in a new direction. The light shines exposing the darkness of the world. All creation, all people, the work of Christmas begins here. reminded us that the work of Christmas begins 
Worship and work, when it comes to church, all mean being honest with ourselves and with God about who we are, both the good and the bad, places where we are just as God would hope for us and places where we have room to grow. With that in mind, let us pray together using the prayer of confession offered for you. Let us pray. God of glory, you sent Jesus among us as the light of the world to reveal your love for all people. We confess that our pride hides the brightness of your light. We turn away from the poor. We ignore cries for justice. We do not strive for peace. Open our eyes to the powerful, hurting the vulnerable. Guide our hearts so your light never fades. that are trustworthy and true today and every day. Whatever you have done, whatever you have failed to do, whoever you are, whoever you may one day still become, you are welcome, you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are loved forever by the very creator of the world, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can ever change that. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God.
someone asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, in this season, we know, perhaps more than usual, something of hope and peace and joy and love that has come to us. And all of these things, they are simply too good to keep to ourselves. So we invite you now to share some sign of Christ's peace with one another. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Welcome once again to worship on this Sunday after Christmas. If you have been with us throughout this stretch, congratulations. We've made it. More importantly, God has made it among us. And so surely God is in this place and we have reason to rejoice. Whether you are with us for the first time or whether you are a longtime member, we're glad that you are here today. All of you, your presence among us makes us better, and so we thank you for that. It is our hope and our prayer that each and every one of you will experience something meaningful during this time together. If you are seated near the ends of the pews and have not already done so, but can find one of those maroon pew pads and are willing to sign your name and pass it to those near you, Um, As it makes its way across and back again, feel free to look inside and see the names of the people with whom you are worshiping. It is good that we do everything we can to help everyone feel welcome and at home here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. As is our normal, we have quite a few events coming up in January, including Church Family Night, Fridays with Children, and one of our annual favorites, Fireside Jazz. Details about all of those and more are in the back of your worship bulletin. 
So I will let you take a look at those as you're able. A note that we do not have children's worship today. That will return next week, but we do have the children's worship bags in the back. So if your family needs those, please feel free to go and grab one at any point. Next, uh, our worship schedule next Sunday. I wrote on my notes that our worship schedule next Monday. We will not be worshiping next Monday. You're welcome to come. I will not be here. Our worship schedule next Sunday returns to normal for us, which is two services each Sunday morning at 9 and 11.15. Finally, we welcome our guest organist, Harvey Burgett, longtime resident of the city, and most recently the interim organist and choir master with our friends down the way at First Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. We are delighted that he is here to be with us this day. And let us now turn our attention to the word of God. Good morning. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Loving God, you reveal light and hope, truth and grace. Open our hearts to your word so that they may shower us with an understanding of our place on this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 63, starting at verse 7. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor to the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior in all their distress. There was no messenger or angel, but his presence that saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
And as you are seated, I'd like to invite all of our children forward at this time. Good morning, William and Abigail and Brian. Come join me around the steps. I have a book today. It's called Refuge. Can everyone see? Let me just step up one step so that everyone can see. And I'm going to read this to you right now. So Refuge. The man led me and I carried the woman all the way to Bethlehem. And then the baby was born. The shepherds came first, and after them came the kings. When the kings, the last king left, the scent of frankincense lingering in the air, we all slept, and the man had a dream, a dream of danger. There was a man after the holy family. He woke long before the sun rose and told the woman, He took the baby and kissed him, and she smelled his sweet baby breath and felt his soft, warm baby skin and how his lashes tickled her cheek as he sleepily nuzzled her neck. Time to go, she said. Then they wrapped him up warm and kissed him again, and the man came to get me. He patted me between the ears and led me out. Come on, old friend, we're off on a journey again. And we left some gold for the innkeeper, for he had been good to us when others had not. And we set off, under starlight, through empty streets, while people were sleeping, hoping for the kindness of strangers again. And we passed the shepherds in the fields, and there were whispered blessings, and the movement of sheep in the darkness, and the clasp of rough hands, and the love of warm hearts. And I kept walking, carrying my precious load, and the woman held the baby close to her heart, and she and the man talked about journeys and dreams and warnings and the love of a baby and the kindness of strangers. And when we rested and they were frightened, they took hope from each other and from the baby's tiny first smile. And we entered into Egypt, and we found refuge the end. So refuge, do you know what refuge means? It means safety. It means comfort and shelter from danger. It means all will be okay. And Jesus and his family, as you're here today, escaped his homeland to find safety. And while he did that, God was with them every step of the way. And so maybe you've seen or known people who are on the move. You've seen maybe they're looking for a new home or a place to sleep or eat. You've probably seen it on the streets here in New York City. When we see that, we can always know that God is with them, just like God is with each of us. So can you pray with me? And everyone pray after me in the congregation as well. Loving God. You are with us even in the dark times. Help us shine your light so all people know how much you love them. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all can go sit with your parents today. Thank you.
Our second reading today comes from Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Listen to the word of God. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that when what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, he will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Less than a week ago, the stockings were hung over fireplaces. The lights sparkled up and down Park Avenue. The red bows were tied to wreaths. The trees stood tall and the ornaments carefully placed. Cookies were baked, presents wrapped, meals planned, houses cleaned, and the innocence of children and adults, too, laughed and sang with joy. Christmas carries a sparkle, this innocence. We make it this way so that waiting for a simple child born to a humbled family in a dirty barn is a bit more exciting and magical than it probably actually was. And I began my season with this magic and sparkle as well. I prepared my home by hanging as much Christmas on my walls as I tastefully could. And I had every intention to purchase my first Christmas tree, since this would be my first Christmas with my dog, Sadie, all on our own. But I lost that magic and innocence with one phone call. My best friend suddenly, shockingly lost her father on December 10th. After that phone call and a quick trip home, all that Christmas magic, sparkle, and innocence seemed to drain from the bottom of my heart. All of a sudden, my hometown and my best friend was in mourning when they should have been charmed by the Christmas spirit. All of a sudden, I wanted Christ to come quickly, but not with ribbons and bows or the sweet carols and treats. This Christmas, just let the light come.
Let it come to shine in the darkness. And that's the thing about Christmas and this passage. They have forced me to ponder that Christmas holds innocence and loss and tension with one another. Christmas stirs up the innocence of a child born in a manger to the complexity of a family on the run and hundreds of children murdered by a dictator. But for it to be Christmas, we need both stories. We can't have one story without the other. And so the shepherds are gone, the angels are silent, the wise men have seen Jesus, they have given him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and decided to go a different way they, because they had been warned in a dream to avoid King Herod. Joseph, too, was warned in a dream to flee to Egypt because Herod is out for blood, his newly born son's blood. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus packed up their belongings and traveled the long road south from Bethlehem to Egypt, fleeing for their lives. Jesus was a king, and now a refugee. And when Herod, a political tyrant, heard that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and engaged in an act of terror. He kills all the children under the age of two in and around Bethlehem. This is Herod's reputation igniting again. Through other writings, we learn that Herod killed his wife and three sons in order to keep power. Even Caesar Augustus said, after hearing of Herod's murders, it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Herod will stop at nothing if his power feels threatened or fear settles in his heart. And so innocence and severe loss are in tension with one another in this story. There is the hope, peace, joy, and love that comes from a baby that will also bring goodness to a world like never before. But we can't overlook that Jesus came into an already broken world, a world that carries violence and war, cancer and dementia, sudden unexplainable deaths, mental illnesses and addiction, a world with people who are overwhelmed by poverty and homelessness, children suffering from hunger and slavery, prisons are overpopulated with innocent and unjust incarcerations, as well as undocumented immigrant families placed in cells because they are seeking a better life, not unlike Joseph seeking a better life for his family. The advent of Christ does not mean the removal of evil. Strangely enough, the birth of Christ is the motivation of violence from Herod, and the narrative addresses an all-too-common occurrence, the suffering of innocence and the power-hungry systems at play. We've seen a Herod-like fury in the faces of people and power all over time. We've seen the Herod-like fury and systems that are set up to keep people in their lowly place. We've seen the Herod-like fury and illnesses that cripple the body and mind. We've seen it in the faces of men carrying guns into elementary schools. We've seen it in the swastikas painted on the synagogues and just last night in the violence of a man who wounded five people celebrated Hanukkah. We've seen it in the threats of nuclear warfare, and we've seen it in the test results from a surprise visit to the hospital. 
We are haunted by this fury and the results that fall after. This is why we need the Christmas story the way Matthew tells it. God breaks into a world as we know it, a world carrying all the things we dread and all the things that terrify us. Things that we don't wish for, but are here. Joseph is haunted by the world he lives in, too. At least three times, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, a nightmare, warning him to take his new little family to safety. And it's in these dreams and angelic interventions that we know God breaks into our world and is in control. In the book, Children's Letters to God, the very first letter written is from a little girl named Jane, and she asks God, In Sunday school, they told us what you do. What, do, what happens when you are on vacation? This question pushes our faith and makes us ask more hard questions. Where is God in all this trauma? Where does God go on vacation? Now, I don't think this is true. I don't think God ever leaves our world. God was still at work and in control in this story. We see it in the Greek. The Greek shows that God never wanted the death of the innocents. God never wanted those evil events to occur. I don't think God wants any evil events to occur. In other verses of Matthew, the Greek fulfillment formula says, such and such happens, so that the word through the prophet was fulfilled. This implies that it is God speaking through the prophet that this is what God will do. God is in action, God is in control, but not here. Not in this verse, not in the deaths of the innocents. Instead, when Matthew quotes Jeremiah, the Greek hints towards grief and sorrow. It does not say that those two-year-olds and younger were killed so that this scripture would be fulfilled. Matthew says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. In other words, for Matthew, the slaughter of the innocents is a fulfillment of scripture, but not, absolutely not, of God's will or plan. Diana, Diana Butler Bass, a theologian and Christian historian, fleshes this out a bit more in one of the most terrifying tragedies to occur. She wrote about God's presence just six days after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary. She observed the world mourning and noticed that there were two opinions of where God was on that terrible day. Some said God was present, God was in and among those suffering, holding them and comforting them. Others said God was absent, for how can God be a part of such terrible acts? And if God is all-powerful, why did God not interfere? Diana Butler Bass offers a different understanding that mixes both of these theological opinions together. She writes, maybe God was hidden that day, one neither and both present and absent. A God that raises questions of, do we really know who you are, God, and the power you hold? She continues, God was in the hands of the rescuers, but not the hands that wielded the guns. God was in the midst of the murdered, but not the act of murder. This is the God who was in all places and nowhere. It touches some truth of human experience, 
and questions we ask when sometimes terrible events happen. We do not know where God is in the midst of evil. But here's the good news. We do know God is not evil. And God sent Jesus, Emmanuel, quite literally God with us, God's love wrapped up in flesh and bone. And so here is more good news of the gospel to be found in this terrible, tragic story. We are not alone. We question where God is at, we wonder, we have theological debates, but we lean on the name Emmanuel, God with us. We are never alone. Do you remember when Jesus is born? He's born in a manger. He is born right into one mess, and he isn't about to abandon us in the midst of another. And I've got some more good news for you since this story desperately needs it. God weeps. It's right there in Scripture. God's son, Jesus, wept over the death of Lazarus. Even when Jesus knew Lazarus would rise again, he was just about to perform that act, and yet he still wept. So we do not understand evil. We don't understand everything about God. But God understands our loss and grief and worry. And so I suspect God is the one weeping for the children of Bethlehem and the innocent children all over the world today. God is the one weeping over the loss of a loved one. God is the one weeping over a loss of a job and security. God is the one weeping over the news of cancer or the news of another shooting. And let us not forget another weeping soul who has a large part in this story. That is Rachel, of course. Matthew writes, A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Rachel is placed in this text for she is like a symbolic mother or father or parent of the nation, defeated, exiled, and suffering. She could not bear children for a long time, a suffering for many women in itself. After finally giving birth to Joseph, Rachel later dies giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. She died near Bethlehem, and she gives voice to all tragedies both then and now when there is an insufficient response, like the questions and answers of where is God in the midst of tragedy. Her weeping, and Matthew including her weeping in this text, is an essential reference for injustice and violence wherever and whenever they occur. It's a reminder that we, like Rachel, wail and weep for the losses of the world. And Christ's birth that brought light reminds us that there is no cheap comfort for those who mourn. God gives light because God grieves too. God shines light because God knows what it means to weep. God gave the world, Emmanuel, God with us, because God knew we needed comfort and change. God rescued the Holy Family, for God had plans uh, for light to continue in the world. And so if we are to take this passage seriously, only four days after Christmas, let us remember that light shines in the darkness We've been saying that all Advent long, light shines in the darkness. 
But let us also remember that light shines on the reality of the struggle between good and evil, innocence and loss. God is at work in the world as we know it. We saw that in the Greek, and we are here to help with that work. Another letter from a child who writes to God says, We read Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. Sincerely, Donna. Donna had the right idea. We are to steal some of God's light, but I think God would be willing to give it so that we can help shine light in the hearts of those who are experiencing the struggles of this world. We remind them that God weeps, God grieves, God is with us. It was several days before I could make it to my hometown of Valdez, North Carolina, to be with my friend who had just lost her father. I was terrified for her. I still am. But I kid you not, the entire town of Valdez cradled and is cradling her in their arms. Nearly 20 people were at the hospital weeping with her. And at the wake, it felt like the whole town of Valdez was there to share love with one another. God was in the midst of those tears and in the midst of those hugs. Since then, that love has not stopped. One person has helped clean her house. One family helped with funeral arrangements. One person is working on her father's will with her. And several are there to just drink, eat, and talk about nonsense. That's the work of Christmas. When the bells are silent and the candles out, the realization of the world we live in lingers. But it's the hope, peace, joy, love, and light that helps us face it. It's the goodness and grace of Christmas that pushes us forward. One theologian writes, This is why we need the Christmas story, the way Matthew insists upon telling it. This story assures us that God comes into the world as it actually is, not as we wish it to be, because we live in the actual world, and God's love will be found wherever we are, and we are here to help carry God's love out into that world. And so to end, Howard Thurman, an African-American theologian, wrote this poem about Christmas. He writes, When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. Amen.
having heard the word of God spoken and reflected upon, let us now join our voices together in affirming our faith using the words of a Christmas creed, a creed written for Christmas Eve but still relevant this day. And so we say together, we believe in Jesus Christ and the beauty of the gospel born this night in Bethlehem. We believe in the one whose spirit glorified a little town, whose spirit still brings light to all of creation. We believe in the one the rulers of the earth ignored and the proud could never understand, whose life was among common people, who was most welcome among the least and lowly. We believe in the one who proclaimed the love of God to be invincible, we believe in the one whose cradle was a mother's arms and whose bed was a feeding trough, whose modest home in Nazareth had little wealth but lots of love, who helped people see themselves as God saw them, who lifted human weakness up to meet the strength of God. We confess our everlasting need of God, the need for forgiveness for our selfishness and greed, the need of new life for weary souls, the need of love for hearts grown cold. We believe in God who gives us the best of himself. We believe in Jesus, the Son of the living God, born this night in Bethlehem for us and for the whole world. Amen. You may be seated. Let us gather our hearts together in prayer. Sometimes, O oh God, even when the star of Bethlehem is still overhead, we struggle to live by its light. You came and walked on this earth, you in the person of Jesus Christ who has come to us. So surely you understand something of our struggle. For you have seen our heartbreak firsthand. And that was why Christmas came, isn't it? Because your love simply could not stay away. We need your Christmas love, O oh God, your strong and surprising Christmas love. We pray for those who are homebound, including Mickey Gorman, <laughs> Betty Dewing Brabeck, Gordon Robbins, and Werner Gross. Gift them with the awareness of your presence and your companionship. When circumstances overwhelm them, fill them with your light and your life, and offer them tangible signs of joy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are in the hospital or in rehab facilities, or who have recently been so, including Alvin Ike Ortiz, Marjorie Norris, Francis Dawson, Louis Rodriguez, Mark Bersigian, and the mother of Megan Leaguer. May they know, O oh God, that home is wherever you are, and that you are with them wherever they may be. Gift them with comfort and healing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are grieving this season, including the families and friends of Tessa Majors, Paul Volker, and Elaine Heckman. Whisper peace into their hearts, O oh God, and make way for their tears. Hold them close and at the same time remind them that you are holding their loved one even closer. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And for all of the prayers and concerns we carried in here with us this day, O God, those that remain unspoken but are known deeply by you, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into all of these places, God, show up with your insistent and incarnate love. Remind us how that has always been your way, and help us to trust that it will always be your way. Because the earth was a formless void, and then you said, let there be light, and there was. Jacob wrestled with the mysterious man until daybreak. But in the end, he received a blessing and a limp to help him remember that blessings can be worth fighting for. Jonah wallowed in the deep dark of a whale, but the the whale spit him back out, and he became an obedient and remarkably effective prophet. And God, even Easter resurrection did its work in the dark. But it was in the bright light of day that Mary saw Jesus again and understood that death The final enemy had been defeated. God, it is true in your story and it is true in ours that stories so often begin in the dark. But the truth of Christmas is this and always this, that your light has come into this world. It is light no darkness can destroy. It is light that promises a new day is dawning. And it is light that reminds us How even when it seems the least likely, joy comes in the morning. Because not one day, not one moment of our lives is ever lived outside of your presence. Remind us of this, O God, every time we need to hear it. Remind us that this is why your angels still sing. And give us ears that never tire of listening for them. Amen. Today we celebrate how God has come to us, a gift that is everything we need and more than we can imagine. In response to such an extraordinary gift, let us also give with grace and generosity for God's work in the world.
Friends, whoever you are and however you come, this table is for you. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, he was born and laid in a manger, in a feeding trough. He was born to feed the world. This place is where we get but a taste of the world that he envisions for us. Bits of bread and sips of juice and wine. But they are so much more than that. What you receive at this table, what we all receive at this table, is love broken open and grace poured out. It is for all of us, so come and taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. In that not-so-silent moment, you spoke to creation, O God. Birds sang in the morning, thunder rumbled over the waters, cows nestled in the meadows. Light shone over the dark corners, revealing your hard work and love. Prophets came to praise your name and to bring us back to you. Then you sent your love, wrapped up in flesh and bone, to give something new to your broken world. And so we praise you. And we thank you for all you've done and all that you do for us. And we join our voices with a company of angels who forever sing to the glory of your holy name. the chains of our captivity to see your goodness and glory. And if that is not enough, Jesus chose to die as an act of love and was resurrected as an act of hope. And so with love and grace imprinted on our hearts by you, O God, let your spirit come. May it pour out upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And as our heart is assumed into yours, O God, we work towards your kingdom and all its grace. We gather with our siblings from every time and place, embracing each other and sitting down for the joyful feast, telling of your glory and hope. And so we do all of this 
We do all of this, and we do it while praying the way Christ taught those first disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it was in the same way that he took the cup. And as he poured it out, he said, This cup, it is the cup of the new covenant. It is shed for the forgiveness of sin. He said, Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul reminds us that every time, each and every time we share this bread and this cup, we proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Joy to every heart indeed, O God, for we have been filled up with your goodness and your grace. May these gifts carry us through the week ahead, and may they sustain us until we gather once again at your table. In your name we pray. Amen.
hear these words again. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.